Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. If you're looking to take your business and life to a whole new level and you're committed to investing in yourself, you're invited to apply for one-to-one coaching with me, which you can learn more about at coachwithtyler.com or sign up for the life-changing Elevate High Performance Coaching Academy, where together with our tribe, you'll learn how to elevate your game, make more money and have more freedom. Check out the free masterclass at elevatecoachingacademy.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with my friend, you know, one of my great friends and really growing friendships in Dr. Basu Kakar Lapuri. What an amazing individual. I'm going to tell you right now, today's episode is phenomenal. It's value-packed for people who are looking to elevate to a life without limits because that's what Dr. Kakar Laputi is doing. That is what he has done. That is what he continues to do. And I'm just so inspired that he continues to push the limits and push the bounds of his own life for the greater good of other people and continuing to share that story with other people. Today, you're going to learn so much about his story and how you can apply those patterns of greatness to your own life. And I'm just going to tell you right now, today's episode is so value-packed. It's so energetically inspired. And, you know, you're really going to learn so much about, you know, what really makes the difference in terms of high-performing individuals, whether you're a doctor, commercial real estate investor, you know, uh, other high-performing professional, and how you can really apply, you know, additional attributes to your life whether it is emotional intelligence, whether it is discipline, uh, whether it's other differentiators. I mean, we've all got skills and attributes that can really take our skills to the next level. And that's what today's all about. And you're also going to learn about really commercial real estate strategy and get into the mind of an individual who's been highly, highly successful in investing in commercial real estate across several different asset classes for nearly two decades. And I just want to encourage you to really buckle up because you're going to learn from someone who not only is an expert and outstanding in one field in medicine, but also the same in commercial real estate and so forth. And this is an individual who, you know, he just never rests on his laurels and there's so much to learn from this conversation. So I want to encourage you to really enjoy this conversation. But before we get there, I just want to let you know that really this is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. I am your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time, so let's raise the bar And as we dive into this episode, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for supporting Elevate, listening, learning, enjoying, and applying because that's what this is all about. I mean, we do this for you and I, you know, I personally do this to pour into other people. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe, follow Elevate Podcast wherever you like to listen or watch podcasts 
subscribe, give us a rating and review. It is extremely important for us. And uh, if you have 15 seconds to go ahead and do that right now, we'll, we'll be sure to give you a shout out. And by the way, I read every single one of these reviews. So thank you so much. And also the fee is really just to pay it forward. Share this with one friend, one colleague, one business partner, one you know, uh, acquaintance that you have and share Elevate Podcast with someone else. So we just thank you so much for listening and being here. And we're going to give you massive, massive value. We're going to continue to do so. And with all that said, I want to dive in. I want to introduce you to Masu Kakarlapudi, my friend who is an entrepreneur who specializes in ear, nose, and throat, head, and neck surgery. And he's also in commercial real estate. And he's also so defiantly committed to personal growth Dr. Kakalaputi grew up in Kansas City and received his BA in biology and an MD in 1998, graduation of BA and MD with distinction from the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine. Dr. Kakalaputi was accepted to medical school directly from high school, and he graduated at the top of his medical school class. Let me just tell you, his commitment to excellence remains today even stronger, perhaps, than it has throughout really his entire life. You're going to learn that in his story today. He was inducted into the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society, Phi Kappa Phi Honors Society, and placed first in the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine Research Days. He completed his internship in general surgery in 1999 and his residency uh, in surgery in 2003 from the University of Maryland Medical Center. In 2009, Dr. Laputi earned his MBA in entrepreneurship from the University of Louisville. And his vision of developing a comprehensive ENT and allergy practice along with his leadership skills were instrumental in the formation of advanced ENT and allergy. So my goodness, I could just go on and on and on about this individual. I mean, you want to talk about someone who his commitment to greatness, his commitment to always raising his standards is so, so apparent in everything he does. So this conversation is so much fun. You know, he actually came to my house for this conversation. We actually were able to sit down face to face and, and I just honor Dr. Vasu Kakarlapudi so much. And I just appreciate him so much for sharing his wisdom and paying, paying it forward, really all the things that he's learned and continuing to commit uh, to continuing his own evolution for the greater good of his family, the people around him. And you are going to be a direct beneficiary of that today. So I just welcome Dr. Vasu Kakalapudi. Vasu Kakalapudi, my friend, how are you? I'm doing great, Tyler. How are you? Man, I'm blessed and grateful. It is really great to be with you in person. Um, I feel like our friendship has really grown tremendously. I mean, over the past few months, Absolutely. Um, especially. And so I'm excited to introduce you to everyone else. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? I'm blessed and grateful to be here. Love to have it. I love it, man. So, you know, one of the things that I love to do to kick off these conversations is to really dive into how other people would describe you. And what I mean by that is your closest friends, family members, maybe even your kids. Like, how would they describe Vasu? Yeah, I think I, I grew up uh, in an immigrant household and was told to really work hard and be very, very disciplined. So, I'm, I think most people would very, would describe me as being extremely disciplined. Uh, I'm passionate about what I do. Um, I love what I do. I'm energetic and, uh, I love to treat people the way I want to be treated and, and from patients in the office to people I do business with. That's absolutely one thing that, uh, I mean, all, everything that you just described definitely describes you. I can say that by knowing you, at least from the early stages of knowing you. And I'm, I'm really excited to get to know you a lot better today because, 
you know, what really strikes me about you and absolutely, you know, being so multifaceted as a professional, not only being a medical doctor, uh, ear, nose and throat specialist, um, and maybe I'm not saying that correctly. So you'll have to correct me if, if, if I'm not saying that correctly. No, ear, nose and throat is easy. The hard part is saying otolaryngology. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get that one. So thank yeah. you for saying that on my behalf. Yeah. But what I would imagine is required is that energy, that energetic nature and showing up with a great attitude because you have so much demands. I mean, so many things are demanding of your time, your attention, your energy. So where did that arise from and where did that come from originally? Well, actually, a lot of that started from childhood. Uh, I was always told to do the best in everything I, that I could do. And I really remember in residency, I, my, my chairman of the department told me that, you know, you've already passed all of the academics tests that they're out there. And so what's going to separate you as a physician and a surgeon is not necessarily your technical skills because, you know, in, in medicine, 90 percent of the physicians out there are well qualified from a technical standpoint. But how you really, the, some of the softer things, how you relate to people, how empathetic you are, what is your emotional intelligence, those kinds of things are super important to being a successful physician. And so uh, I really try to um, play that play that really well in the office and. Uh, act and uh, behave as if I was a patient or I was one of my uh, family members was a patient. So yeah, that, that served me well. That really resonates with me. And I think about, you know, a lot of people will say, well, bedside manner, right? Mm -hmm. and, and even in business, sometimes you'll, you'll use that phrase around just sort of service and the way that people care for others or communicate. And to me, that really resonates. And, and, and it sounds like going back to your upbringing, you've, you've always been demanded to do the best that you can okay. and to maximize your talents, to maximize your intelligence. But what you're saying is that the separators have been sort of those those maybe those soft factors or those those intangibles such as in emotional intelligence and otherwise. Is there anything else that you'd say about that? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. I mean, I think, you know, you've got to have some basic academic standards to get someplace in this world. But once you cross that threshold, it's a law of diminishing returns. Right. And so the differentiating factors between um, the, the top 50 uh, percent and the top 10 percent. A lot of it has to do with, you know, more than just uh, academic standards. And so these, some of these softer things are really important. Some stuff I learned um, not when I was a young child, but in my adolescence and uh, teenage and uh, early 20s. So talk to me about that. I mean, when did you learn about emotional intelligence as an example? Well, my, my chairman of my department was a, a guy named Bert O'Malley uh, in Baltimore. And he became chairman of the department at University of Maryland at the age of like 37 or 38 just a few years out out of residency, which any of your listeners who are, know anything about medicine, academic medicine, to get, a, to get to be a chairman of a department at that age is extremely rare. Yeah. And he was a good surgeon. He wasn't the best surgeon in the round. He, he would tell you that he wasn't the best surgeon around, but he was a pretty good surgeon. And so, you know, what differentiated him is his ability to relate to other people. And every way that every, from patients to residents, to other faculty members, to other departments within the hospital, he had significant amount of empathy and people related to him. And he kept on getting promoted uh, because of the intangible skills and not necessarily for his technical skills. Now, don't get me wrong. His technical skills had to be there, but the technical skills isn't what differentiated him from his peers. So what else differentiates you? I mean, because these are things that, you know, it's almost like you can't teach it. You almost have to experience it and, and observe it and learn and grow through failure. But how else are you? 
And what else are your other intangibles and how else are you developing those? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I, I read a lot of books like you do, listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, study successful people and see what they do. And if somebody else can do it, you can do it. And that's really been my mindset. So it's just really a matter of being the scientist and studying different techniques that work for other folks and then customizing it for your own uh, daily ritual. Man, I just love your commitment to growing, right? That's yeah. to me is amazing because a lot of people will reach a certain point in you know their life or their career and they'll just say, you know what? I'm good. Now we can coast and now we can enjoy the fruits There's of our no labor. There's no such thing. Is there, Tyler? No, I no. mean, but but it's amazing. I mean, honestly, it's a very rare thing. Would you agree to that? Yeah, it's it's I don't think it's super rare, but I think, you know, you're either expanding or you're contracting. Boom. And so staying on status quo really isn't how we are biologically designed. Uh, you know, evolution is one of the key factors in humanity. And you're either you're either growing or you're, or you're sinking. So staying status quo is really not an option. OK, so now all the listeners know why you and I are becoming great <laughs> friends, because we're like we're like brothers. I mean, this is amazing. And it really resonates with me because yeah. you can feel it. I mean, even if you're not aware of that fact, what you just shared, you can feel it. I mean, you feel a little bit down in yourself or maybe, you know, not as happy or energetic when you're not expanding and maybe you're making decisions based out of fear and you're, you're retreating away from some discomfort. But when you go to go forward in the face of that fear, or that discomfort, it almost, you know, it's challenging in the moment, but it's almost like that, that phrase, you know, easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. And I don't mean to get too philosophical yeah. too early in the conversation, yeah. but does that resonate with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tyler. I think that's well said. Yeah. So I want to, I actually want to go back. I want to talk about your upbringing and you mentioned, um, you know, growing up in an immigrant family. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what sort of impact that had on your early thinking and how, you know, who you became as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, I, my parents instilled, you know, values of hard work and uh, education, as you know, uh, uh, I'm a Asian Indian uh, descent and education is super, super uh, important in all Eastern cultures, especially uh, Indian cultures. Um, so I was raised to really work hard and do good in school. I actually wanted to, uh, play professional baseball, like a lot of other young kids. And, uh, I uh, quickly realized when I tried out for the freshman team that my, <laughs> my, my talent wasn't going to support my dream. And so I essentially kind of traded in my, uh, ball and glove for textbooks. Same thing happened to me in <laughs> basketball, by the way. So go ahead. <laughs> I think you probably went a little bit further in basketball than I went in baseball. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> So the dream is still there, though. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's 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 funny there. You know, the human human potential is limitless, but there are some boundaries. And, you know, sure. a lot of people have you drink the Kool-Aid that, you know, hey, yeah, if you want to play in the NBA, great. But <laughs> there there is a certain extent. So uh, of, of, of human possibility. So that, I realized I was not going to be a professional athlete. So mm -hmm. I said, OK, well, maybe my parents are right. Maybe, maybe my future is, uh, using my brain. And, um, so I, I'd always done well in school and I liked science and math and I wanted to, um, you know, have a stable career that wasn't going to be, uh, like Xerox or, uh, Kodak or some other, uh, businesses that could go under and, you know, people always need healthcare. So I was drawn to healthcare. My neither one of my parents were physicians, but a lot of my family friends and aunts and uncles, and there was plenty of doctors in the family. So I did well in school, and um, fortunate enough to get into a, a combined program where I got into uh, college and medical school in, in one one application. So 
So I have a friend of mine who's literally, I think he's finishing up his last, um, I don't know if you even call it residency. I mean, you're going to have to educate me on yeah. this, but I mean, he's 34 years old yeah. at this point. I mean, there is so much significant commitment in that. And then, you know, in at that point you're beginning, right? So was yeah. that your experience as well? Were you mid thirties by the time you were out? Yeah, actually I went to a combined program for college and medical school in six years. So I saved two years, quote unquote. So by the time I started practice, uh, I was uh, just shy of 29. So I got out a little bit earlier but you're right. Uh, that was after five years of residency on top of the f- um, six years after high school. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but you're right. You, you basically sacrificed your 20s. No uh, doubt for about sure, it. For sure. And I mean, you've become an outlier in so many different facets. And I mean, obviously, as you've grown, not only in your medical career, but also as an investor, which I find to be fascinating, and you've become a really prolific investor. I mean, you've been investing in commercial real estate for the past 20 years. So when did that originate? When was the decision made to put some capital to work in commercial real estate? Yeah, so I started practicing uh, 2003, so 18 years. I uh, didn't really invest in commercial real estate the first year or two. Um, so for at least uh, you know um, 15 years or so, I've been heavily involved in commercial real estate. So I really began because I knew that I wanted to do something more than just practice medicine. I loved practicing medicine, but I wanted to be able to create a second stream of income. And I wanted to do it in a tax-advantaged way because one of the things that I realized is as a high-earning professional, uh, I would, you know, every April would come by and my accountant would tell me how much I owed in taxes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a <laughs> huge knot in my stomach, Tyler. And I was like, I know, you know, and my accountant would be like, well, that's a good sign. You're making a lot of money. I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm, they I'm, always <laughs> tell me that too. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm working well into, you know, the second quarter or something, you know, to pay uncle Sam. And so I just knew there had to be a better way. So, you know, I started asking questions and, you know, the more questions you ask, uh, the better your answers you get and yeah. the more you learn. And, and I really came to know that, you know, a lot of professionals have used real estate to uh, create a, a tax advantage second stream of income. So you were starting to do some networking and ask those questions. I mean, who were you asking these questions of? Was it just other people and other professionals, maybe other doctors that you respected and asked them what their strategies were? Yeah. You know, (laughs) there's an old adage, right? That doctors are horrible businessmen. So I didn't actually at the very beginning, there are, there are exceptions. There are a lot of- I didn't want to tell you the other (laughs) phrase of MD, but I'm just, go ahead. (laughs) But, you know, I had the good fortune of um, seeing, you know, 30, 40 patients a day. And the curious guy that I am, I just started interacting with patients. And, Ooh, wow. uh, you know, you see some patients who seem to have their, you know, their stuff together and well put together and, and engaging people. And turns out a lot of them were in real estate. Interesting. And so several of them, you know, saw that I had an eye for this. They saw that I had a passion for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife, Rama, was busy with going to dental school at that time. And, and I had just... Uh, I'd always had an interest in business, so I, I joined a uh, MBA program in entrepreneurship at the University of Louisville. And so, you know, part of that education is, you know, ask questions, be be inquisitive, and show that you're passionate. And so, um, I really quickly realized that people who are really successful, if they see somebody that has passion, they want to help them. And so. I was fortunate enough to be surrounding myself with people who were very successful in real estate. They saw that I was a young guy who was very passionate about this and they took me under their wings and I literally got my real life practical PhD in how 
real estate professionals look at deals, how they think, how they evaluate, how they, um, you know, calculate risk and reward and look for, you know, the old asymmetric risk reward ratio. And so um, that's really kind of how I got started. And then, you know, one deal led to another. And then, you know, it's just I was hooked. And then the more and more I looked around, I was like, you know, the four 400 people, they either made their money in real estate or they kept their money in real estate. So, right. you know, I didn't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel. I had the good fortune of having a good professional career. Uh, and I wanted to leverage my career earnings in the most effective way and in a way that wouldn't jeopardize my family uh, and with, with relatively low risk. And so real estate became an obvious choice. So you identified the pattern, right. Of some of your most well put together, and I'm using your words, not mine, <laughs> most well put together patients. Yeah. And you were, you were curious, you were following your curiosity. You had a pain point where the taxes were really hitting you. And you were like, wait a minute, this is interesting. I just paid off all these, you know, college loans, or maybe yes, that was something yes, that you were dealing with. Right, right. And then you're like, wait a minute, now it's supposed to be my earning years. Yeah. And now I'm getting hit with this. Yeah. And so you're starting to ask these questions and you identify the pattern. So talk to me about after that light went off, did you surround yourself with mentors? Did you keep asking more questions? Did you go start kicking the tires at properties or what did that, how did that look like? Yeah, I basically had a couple of mentors that uh, were gracious enough to, you know, take me under their wings and I would go after work and uh, look at deals. They were uh, humble enough to be able to share some stuff and I would see how they, how they thought about deals. What are the things they looked at? How do they assess risk? Well, how do they assess their upside? Um, how do they protect their downside? You know, all those kinds of, you know, common business 101. And I was also getting my education at UofL. So I was networking with other people who think entrepreneurially. And I think you haven't asked this question yet, but I always, everyone always asks me, well, is the MBA helpful for you? And the most helpful thing about an MBA program is the networking of people who mm. think like you. That was actually more important than the education because, you know, you can go online and get the education. Sure. But the network of well, interacting with people who th who think entrepreneurially, uh, that was the greatest asset. So, and that really resonates with me because I can say the same even just for an undergraduate career yeah. or an undergraduate degree. But mm -hmm. do you still interact with folks that you met in the Absolutely. time to get an MBA? Yeah, so I finished my, I was 2007 to nine and, you know, you know it's 12 years later and, uh, you know, I, I still interact with a lot of my classmates. So have you done any deals with any classmates is a real well, question. Well, I've got a couple of classmates who are, uh, yeah, invested with me in some real estate. Yeah, That's absolutely. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So talk to me about the first deal. So how long was it be between idea and action? And then what did that first deal look like? So my first deal, so I, I uh, started practice in 2003. So I started looking at real estate in 2004. Uh, my first deal was a single family townhome that I bought in January of 2005 in uh, Sterling, Virginia. Okay. Okay. So Sterling, Virginia <laughs> is a suburb of Washington, D.C. And uh, I've got some cousins. Uh, one of my cousins is a realtor there. And uh, they were like, oh, you know, Sterling is growing like crazy. It's right next to Dulles, Dulles Airport. Um, the the subway is going to get out here. And it's, it's booming, it's booming. So, so it was a brand new town home, um, that, uh, single family town home bought it, um, and rented it out. Um, and so that was my first experience. So but pretty I, straightforward, pretty straightforward, uh, cash flowed. Um, so I took a note out personal guarantee on the note, 
um, and use the rent from the tenant to uh, pay the uh, pay the bank. And what was left over was for me. I love action. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's like you can read about it in a book, you can have a conversation with someone, but until you really experience it, it's just theory, right? right. And I think there's so much value, even in starting small like that and, and really learning about, well, how do I treat this tenant the way I would want to be treated and, you know, add value to them, but also right. make sure that I'm making good business decisions. So you're learning that on a small scale yeah. and then you're growing, right? So did you just buy more houses after that or what did that look like? Because I know that you've expanded in different asset classes as well, but I'm just curious. Yeah. I, I, I bought another single family home and and then I quickly realized that residential has a very low barrier to entry, mm-hmm. uh, but it's much tougher to scale in in residential. So I essentially kind of, you know, traded in, uh, you know, uh, toilets, tenants and termites for <laughs> uh, more commercial properties because I realized you could, you know, you could scale a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And I was a busy professional. My wife, like I mentioned, was in dental school and uh, she was busy. I was busy. And I knew that if you were more in the commercial side, you could get people to help you uh, while you're doing your day job. And so I what a concept. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's a great concept. Well, and I know that you and I love the book Who Not How. Yes, right? So it's coming yes. full circle now yes, on this. Yeah. Other people can help you. So yeah. you made the decision that scale was something that you wanted to do. Did you realize that scale was even possible? Like the first your first thought was like, got to figure out this tax situation. Right. Got to figure out, you know, how can I, you know, build multiple streams of income? Right. And then you started to say, well, wait a minute, this is not scalable. Yeah. So then you started looking elsewhere and you continued to evolve and expand. Am I saying this correctly? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so commercial tenants in general uh, tend to be less labor intensive than residential tenants. Now, there are exceptions, you know, commercial multifamily, on the other hand, is is, is not super labor intensive like residential uh, is. But in general, commercial tenants are easier to deal with, uh, less less labor intensive. Yeah. And I'll just caveat it. And obviously you say what you feel, but it's yeah. it's not as labor intensive for the owner if you put the right team on the field for multifamily. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because otherwise it, it absolutely does take a lot of input and in that. Yes. But you know, if you've got scale right. to be able to handle that team, then it makes sense because you're providing opportunities for folks to be employed and so forth. But I know that you've invested in retail. Yep. You've also invested in medical office for your for your medical practices. Um, what else? What other types of asset classes have you been familiar with? Um, retail, uh, large scale retail, um, you know, with multiple tenants, um, single tenant uh, centers that are, you know, medical related dialysis, those kind of physical therapy, those kinds of things. Um, and retail, retail and multifamily, uh, medical office. I was involved in a senior care facility that we, uh, renovated, uh, with one of my mentors who kind of, you know, I got to really see how that works. Um, and we subsequently uh, sold that a couple of years ago, but, um, that was a huge project that, uh, I learned a lot from. So do you have a favorite asset class? I'm just curious. I mean, I know that there's pros and cons and we all can talk theory and all that, but what, what's your favorite asset class? By far and away multifamily. Really? Yes. I'm so I'm so surprised to hear that. Um, I know that you're scaling. We'll talk about that in multifamily. Yeah. But I'm really curious: is it because of the f- risk factors and the upside, and just all of the different vantage points, or is there what what particular factors make you love it the most? I think the biggest thing is the cycles in multifamily are much, much, much larger and more based upon demographics. And so, you know, I was trained as a scientist, and uh, you know, as you know, you you're in multifamily as well. The beauty of multifamily, unlike other asset classes within commercial real estate, is that the primary 
business model is based upon demographics. If you if you do all your data and all your analysis, you, there's more demographic um, trends that dictate your results in multifamily than in any other asset class. So, for example, if you look at the last year, okay, so we've been through the financial crisis in, in our generation. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna include you in my generation. I Tyler. Pre- actually I appreciated that. <laughs> I was like, man, Tyler, I like this. Tyler's well younger than me, but uh, come on, we're brothers. We're brothers. <laughs> but you know, during 2007 and eight, you know, you look at most of the other CRE asset classes, they had some downturns. Multifamily took a little bit of a hit, but not nearly as much. And during COVID, um, you know, industrial and retail have been. Uh, I'm sorry, industrial and multifamily have been really hot the last year. Um, but even within that, the demographic trends really dictate how well multifamily does if you play your cards right. So they, it's a lot more resilient. Yeah, it's, re, it's more resilient. Do you think that there's any, you know, sometimes we have recency bias, yeah. right? And so the past two, perhaps you could call them recessions. I don't know if this last year has really, I don't know if we've really fully experienced that recession yet yeah. or not, yeah. just because of all the federal, you know, stimulus and, and what have you. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you think that there's some, and I'm just being devil's advocate, yeah. you know, and, and obviously I'm a multifamily guy. Yeah. Do we have some recency bias because multifamily hadn't been impacted severely in those two downturns? And it was really kind of a fringe asset class prior to, you know, in the 90s, it was like, you know, the institutional players were looking at multifamily and saying, that's not a real asset, you know, yeah. or does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's definitely risk um, in multifamily, but I mean, it, you've studied all the stuff. You look at, you know, home ownership rates nationally or continuing. Again, real estate's very local. Of course. But so I'm speaking in broad national terms when when real estate is obviously very, very local. But so study your local markets. But in general, you know, homeownership rates are continuing to decline um, and people like to rent. And you've got both the uh, baby boomers and the Gen Xers who are the largest kind of renter pools. And they're continuing to want, want to rent. And folks behind the Gen Xers are wanting to rent. Um, and, you know, credit right now is look at interest rates, how low they are. And multifamily is still doing well. So what happens when it becomes harder to get credit? Right. More people are going to probably want to rent. So, um, again, I'm not I'm not the brightest bulb in this tree, but I, I follow a lot of people. I, I follow a lot of people who are much brighter than me, surround <laughs> myself by people who are smart. And uh, there's an adage that, you know, are we in the eighth inning of this game? Oh, I've heard that so many right? times. Are we in the ninth inning of this game? And then I, I heard a really good uh, forecaster who said, well, how do you know it's not a double hitter? <laughs> That's so annoying, but it, it's so good. Though. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. And if you and if you look at you know if you if you select markets that are going to have good population growth and uh, and uh, job growth and uh, income growth, you know I think I think the risk is mitigated. So you know there's an old adage, right? You can make a million dollars, and there's a million ways to make a million dollars in real estate. So certainly there are plenty of other asset classes that you can make money in real estate. And I'm diversified as well as you are, Tyler, yeah. not just in multifamily, but if you, if you, if you tied my hands and said, pick one, yeah. I, would, I would pick multifamily just for the risk profile. Which I did. I tied your hands yeah. and, and I, I made you ask that difficult <laughs> question because, and I knew it would be difficult because of how diversified you are. Right. And the curious, actually not the curious thing, but the thing that I love about real estate is that there's so many different ways to approach, you know, each deal. Right. Okay. And there's so many different ways to, to derive value in certain properties and to add value to certain properties, no matter what asset class you're in. 
And so I think about your dynamic approach to commercial real estate, whether it's multifamily, retail, medical office, or what have you. Mm -hmm. And so the way that you approach other asset classes, you know, we've, we're talking about risk, right? You're mm -hmm. always taking a risk to earn a reward. Essentially, if you were to really boil it down in real estate, that's what it's all about. And so when you invest in retail and, you know, a buzzword, you know, right now is, hey, you know, retail is dying, right? A lot of people will say this is a very high risk asset class. And a lot of the, you know, high level dollars are flowing from retail or office into industrial or multifamily, as you mentioned. Right. So how do you mitigate risk in those type of assets that are, you know, I think we would both agree are higher risk. So how do you how do you mitigate that? Well, I always like to think of how how correlated each asset class is. And so, um, you know, I'm um, I'm sure your listeners are probably somewhat sophisticated in studying correlation uh, coefficients and so forth. And so um, essentially, you know, the way I always kind of look at it is don't put all your eggs in one basket and try to get a diversified portfolio that is relatively uncorrelated. So. Um, in general, you know, um, finance 101, even if you have five different assets, right, um, and they're all generating, let's say, 10% return, but they're, they're not all correlated over the long haul, you're going to be better investing in those same assets that are uncorrelated as opposed to investing all in one asset, even if the expected returns were the same. Because of the fact that you're in a different cycle for each asset, exactly, right? Exactly. So when one's up, another is down, and and perhaps, and right, you're right. you're mitigating risk from a portfolio viewpoint, is what you're saying, right? And so correct? yeah, and then that's way you can kind of think about you know the different classes within real estate. So I love uh, that they're not all correlated. Yeah, and and you know I've you and I were looking at a property together recently, mm -hmm. which was great, and I love the questions that you were asking. It's like you know we were looking at an industrial property together, mm -hmm. and one of the things that we were you know, asking, and you were really leading the charge in this question is what's the health of this tenant, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of the folks who are listening, they may either be single family investors, they may be multifamily investors, they may be retail investors. And of course, no matter which type of asset that you're investing in, it's all about the health of the tenant and what's, you know, what's our plan if the health of that tenant proves to, you know, really fail. And obviously what I mean is the, their success, right? Can they pay the rent at the end right. of the day? Right. And so could you talk a little bit about that in terms of how you evaluate the health of tenants and how you plan ahead and strategize in the event of the unexpected, which usually happens in, in, in many Murphy's cases. Murphy's Law, right? Murphy's Law. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I always kind of think of uh, that each individual tenant as their macro level and their microeconomic level. So in other words, you know, generally if a tenant can get away with not being the, the sharpest knife in the drawer, if their industry is rising, kind of, you know, that uh, a rising tide raises all ships, right? So if you are in, um, if you're the only restaurant in a three mile radius, you know, uh, people are going to come to eat, right? And if you're uh, if you have a five thousand square foot footprint, it's a lot easier to fill that restaurant than if you have a fifteen thousand square foot, foot footprint. So, um, and so you kind of study well how what what is the what is what are the macroeconomic features of that particular tenant? Is it a, is it a growing industry or is it a stable industry or is it a declining industry? And then if you if they pass that test. Then you can go into, you know, what kind of person are they? Um, because you can mm. be the you can be a really, really sharp operator. But if you are operating in, a, in an industry that is declining, it's a, it's an uphill battle. And so you as a landlord are going to assume that uh, poorer credit risk 
Um, and you don't want to do that. So you want to try to get, you know, as many ducks in line as you can. But, you know, there's also, as you know, Tyler, there's analysis paralysis. So you, you know, there's no perfect tenant, right? Right. So, um, and especially if you, if you were in a multi-tenant center, there's no perfect center because one or two or three of the tenants, if you've got 15 tenants, you know, they're probably not all 15 ideal tenants. So, you know, I always kind of look at the macro picture. What is the, what does that area look like? You know, because real estate is, you know, three things about real estate, location, 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 right? Yeah. And then you look at the macroeconomic factors of that particular tenant's industry. And then you drill down into the individual facets of that operator. Um, and you, I think you got to go in that order mm. um, because, you know, you can get confirmation bias to say, oh, you meet somebody and you like, oh, my God, this guy is a great operator. But then if you, you if you haven't studied his his industry or the location that he's in, it doesn't it's it, you still you're, you're still absorbing more risk than you should. So. You know, you, you got to start, you got to move the big rocks first and then don't, don't, don't get into the weeds until you've moved the big rocks. Otherwise confirmation bias could, could get you. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, so just to recap, so we're talking about, you know, studying and having a deep understanding of the macroeconomic forces at play, yeah. whether it's in the industry that your your tenant or your prospective tenant is operating within or the particulars of that um I guess, you know, that asset class, mm -hmm. right? In mm -hmm. addition to the microeconomic forces of that particular location as well as the particular submarket and how that interacts with the operator or the the operations of that particular business. And then you're talking about looking at the character and the effectiveness of the operator. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Is yeah, that and I would, I would actually move location up okay. to the very top because you okay. can't change the location, right? So um, if you can't change the location of an asset, that's the first thing you probably want to look at. And then you kind of drill down um, because if you've got a great location and a booming area, um, you could almost get somebody else in there to replace that. But if you have a great person and a great businessman, but in the wrong location, 
that's much harder to change. Yeah. So in terms of location, I mean, like I was talking to somebody about this literally yesterday, they were asking about our due diligence process and mm -hmm. our checklist. And one of the things that we, you know, check off our list literally is how does it feel at the property and what are the intangibles? How's the access? What's the lighting like? You know, what are the things that you can't change about this property? What are the inherent flaws or the inherent advantages that this property has? You know, when you think about a location, like what makes a great location for a particular asset? And I know it's different for all asset classes, but what would you say to that? I mean, access to your consumer, right? So you always think about it from a consumer standpoint is, okay, that building, that asset is serving somebody. So if you've got a commercial building, um, it is, uh, you know, serving customers who are going to use the businesses in that area. So do people want those services? Um, and, um, so you got to start there. And so if it's, if it's retail, I mean, if you are, um, you know, opening up a, 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 um, uh, you call it a physical therapy location, um, and there's no medical personnel around there, um, there's not a hospital or there's not a bunch of medical doctor offices, um, and there's not a lot of people in that area, it's going to be hard for that physical therapist to really be successful. Mm -hmm. um, if you are building an apartment complex in an area where um, there are not a lot of jobs that service the tenant mix that you're trying to go after, it's going to be an uphill battle. So, um, so always start with the, with the customer first and say, you know, the, the, you put yourself in the customer's shoes and say, okay, would I use this? I love that. I love that. And it makes it really simple, right? Because, you know, sometimes we overcomplicate things yeah. and we think so highly about all these different factors and we forget about the practical side of things. It's like, it, would anyone purchase, you know, the product that this business is, yeah. is creating? And the same goes for apartments, right? Would yeah. anyone live here? Would I live here yeah. if I was in this demographic or if I was in this, you know, in, in the shoes of the consumers <laughs> that I'm looking to serve? Right. So what about, I mean, do you, are you go through, are you going through reports in terms of identifying gap analysis or or are you really just immersing yourself in the market and understanding from an intuitive level? Or talk to me about that in terms of evaluating that type of demand. I always like to use objective data first as an initial screen. So you look at, you know, for example, on retail, you look at, you know, what does the visibility look like? Is it close to job centers? Is it, uh, what's the traffic count in those areas? Uh, do people drive past this area? Is the ingress and egress uh, good? And once you get past that, then you kind of look at the competition and say, okay, are there a bunch of other centers out there? What are, what's the vacancy in this submarket in this corridor? And then if all that fits, then the intuitive part, and I always love to rely on people who are smarter than me. So I always call people that know that submarket better than I do and, and get other people's opinions about it. Um, and as in like brokers or. Well, you got to be, I mean, I know you're brokers aren't smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a recovering broker, but you also have to kind of think about the brokers, brokers their are, interest. Are, are transactional. They, sure. they earn their bread by making a transaction. And so there are plenty of great brokers out there, but, um, so you, political, that was you, so political. <laughs> you, you, you definitely use brokers opinions, but you also kind of use people who invest in that area. Mm. So if you're an investor, I would suggest you create investor mentor networks Ooh. who do what you do. Okay. Um, and they, they have the same mindset probably as you and their, their interests are probably aligned with your interests. So how do you develop that investor mentor network? And is it specific to each particular market that you're operating in? Yeah, I think so. Real okay. estate's very local. Um, you know, you can study macro trends and discuss these kinds of things sure. with people all across the country. 
But if you're targeting real estate in this particular location, you want local know-how. And it's just a matter of spending time. Like I said, you know, um, I learned early on that people, mentors love to be mentors if they're surrounded by somebody who they view as their younger version of themselves. And if you express that passion and energy uh, and you're sincere and authentic, uh, mentors will be glad to work with you. Oh, that's such great advice. And I, I highly recommend anybody listening to this, just rewind that and play it over and over and over until that gets into your mind. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, you know, people like to share their expertise. They like to share their knowledge. You know, they want to pass on their it's knowledge. It's in our biology. It, is it? Really? It's, yes. That, really? Humans are social creatures. Ah. Humans are social creatures. Stories were passed from generation to generation millions and millions of years ago, or, or at least thousands of years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's in, it's in our DNA. So the thing about you that I, I want to acknowledge is your humility, first of all, because you've said multiple times, I'm not the sharpest, you know, knife in the drawer or whatever, tool in the shed, whatever. I mean, you've actually said like three or four different phrases that are the same thing, <laughs> but I want to acknowledge you for your humility, but you are, your commitment to continue learning about everything, like your curiosity is like palatable. Like that's one of the reasons that I think you and I like really have been drawn to each other because it's like, man, that's amazing. Absolutely. And you've become, you're, you're so accomplished in many different ways, but you're continually driven. Like we started this, this conversation with, you know, really your discipline and your drive, but in terms of your learning, I mean, could you talk to me a little bit about how, you know, what is it that, you know, like, what does a daily learning practice look like for you? And how are you synthesizing not only macroeconomic data, microeconomic data, building your investor mentor network and all these things and being open to learning? I mean, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like to read, so uh, whether it's just kind of getting an idea of what what's going on in a, from a global perspective um, and mindset, uh, you know, growth and uh, opportunities that in your specific industry. So, um, you know, I like to I like to read, read, listen to podcasts and, and, and folks who, who know a lot because there's a lot of people out there who know a lot of stuff. So in terms of reading, like mm -hmm. what type of stuff do you read? I mean, maybe you're like me where you read very widely and, and deeply in certain areas. But I mean, are you reading a lot of real estate books? Are you reading a lot of philosophy books, psychology, all across the board, biographies? What, what do you read? Yeah, all across the board. Um, I, one thing I haven't gotten into that I really want to at some point is, um, is uh, uh, fiction. I just have never really gotten into fiction, um, but the more and more I listen to uh, people, I like fiction is important for uh, to for for things that are more uh, you know. Fiction always seemed to me like it's uh, one of those softer subjects. <laughs> like, what am I going to learn from reading some sci-fi book? I'm with you. Um, but apparently, there is a lot a lot to learn. So no. that's one area that I haven't really explored that I want to. I was told by Dave Asprey on this podcast that I have got to read more fiction. He's mm -hmm. told he's he's literally told me that it's a high performance, you know, training technique. And the same Stephen Kotler said the exact same thing. And I'm like, man, these guys, you know, they are, you know, they literally wrote the book on high performance in some ways and, you know, superhuman performance. And so there's a lot to be said about that. I'm like you. It's like, you know, I want to learn tactics and, and things that I can apply. But, you know, there's definitely something to be said when you think about training your brain. Right. There's right. a lot to be said about reading not only gives you ideas and things that you can implement, whether you read a business book or what have you, yeah. but the training of your brain and like the lattice work of the development of how your brain accepts and identifies patterns that may not be related. Does that, re does that resonate with you? Absolutely, Tyler. I think that's well, uh, spot on. 
Yeah. So, you know, you talked about, you've, you've mentioned mindset many times, and I do want to talk about scale and how you're scaling your business and, yeah. and really your lifestyle. I mean, because you're not just doing all this for fun and, you know, obviously you started with, oh, well, taxes were crazy. And so let's figure out a, a strategy here. And then you've, you've developed a love for the process and, you know, an expertise and continually evolve, evolve, evolution of your expertise. So could you talk a little bit about mindset? Because it seems to be something that's become more and more important for you as you've continued to grow. It's almost like that shift that you make. It's not a massive shift, but these little shifts have continued to allow you to leap forward. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I'm a big believer in starting off your morning uh, in the right way. You, 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 most of your listeners have probably read the, the morning equation by... Um, Al Rod. Miracle Morning, right? Miracle Morning. Yeah, Miracle Morning. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He, <laughs> he right. has two books, the, the Miracle Equation. Oh, he has another one too. Yeah, the Miracle Equation. Oh, so then you were right. I was yeah, gonna, but, I was but gonna you're right. You. It's, it is the Miracle Morning okay. and it's the Miracle Equation. So is the Miracle Equation the one that really influenced you more? Um, yeah, kind of. Kind okay. of. I mean, both they both did, but I, I love to start off my day with a with a with a solid routine and, and everybody needs to find their own routine. But for me, um, I like to wake up, drink a lot of water. I learned that from my father-in-law. Uh, and the Japanese apparently have been doing this for years and years and generations. Uh, so I, when you say a lot of water, how much do you mean? Like, what are we talking here? Well, at least uh, I have a liter bottle of water next to my bed. So I wake up and try to drink at least half of that. Okay. Uh, relatively quickly. Um, yeah. so 500 ml, mm-hmm. um, uh, milliliters of water. Yeah. Um, I, I like to meditate. So I've been meditating, um, probably about nine years now, nine, 10 years. When, like what type of meditation? Just watching your breath, mindfulness meditation or what other? Um, I do transcendental okay. meditation. Okay. I think they're all good. Sure. To be honest with you, I think there's so many of out there. When I was started nine, 10 years ago, there was, there was not all these apps and, and <laughs> headspace and all this. Other do you stuff. follow that? I mean, do you use an app when you meditate? Um, I use my aura ring app. Okay. Uh, Wait a minute. <laughs> I have one of those. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. we could use that. Yeah, you can you you can just uh, press uh, add a moment and you can make it unguided. I just use the unguided option. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I meditate for twenty minutes um, in a quiet area, and the rest of the house is quiet, so it's good. And then at least four days a week, I like to go to the gym after that. So um, and uh, exercise a good solid hour um, hour long class. Um, I used to try to exercise at home, but I wasn't pushing myself. So I go to a, a, a group, uh, okay. g- uh, gym, uh, with like three, four people at the most. So, so like weight training, cardio, all yeah. of the above. Yeah. I mean, again, um, I, I, di- I don't drink the CrossFit Kool-Aid, <laughs> but I do go to CrossFit. Okay. okay. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I thought you were going to tell us all about CrossFit for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I'm not competing in any of the CrossFit games. You can see me. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna win any competitions, but <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm just training for longevity, really. Yeah. Um, so I like CrossFit because it's it's it's, every, it's varied every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a component of um, you know stretching and warming up. There's a component of cardio. There's a component of weights, and it's in a kind of a group environment where um, you know we all kind of push each other, but not push each other too much mm-hmm. to the point of injury. So. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your routine and really like how that how you set yourself up for a win every single day. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned something in there when you're talking about exercise. And I would imagine this also has to do with the rest of your routine. Mm-hmm. It's not only high performance now, but you mentioned longevity. So mm-hmm. could you expand upon that thought? Yeah, I mean, um, you ever heard the old adage of like you can train your body to be whatever kind of car you want to be. 
And yeah. um, so if you want to be a Ferrari that requires, you know, tire changes every 10,000 miles or where you can be a Honda Accord that goes, you know, 400,000 miles. And if you skip an oil change here and there, it still runs. Right. <laughs> right. So um, I'm, I'm going for the Honda Accord version. I'm not going to be a Ferrari. I don't want to be a race car. <laughs> but you're kind of a Ferrari. I'm going <laughs> to no, give you that. You're, yeah, you're a Ferrari. For, Ferrari are the, are the guys at the gym that are competing in the games. You know? so <laughs> Fair I, enough. Yeah. So I, I don't want to get injured. I don't want to get injured. From a physical perspective mm -hmm. is what you're saying. Yes. Like you're a Honda Accord from a physical perspective. Okay, okay. go ahead. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm training my body for doing the things that are going to get me to um, you know, my goal is to be able to not just see my grandkids, but I want to be able to play with my grandkids yeah. and get up, up off the floor and uh, throw a baseball to my grandson or granddaughter or um, be able to go on family vacations and, and be able to hike with them. And, um, you know, I love to ski. I'd love to be able to mm. ski with my grandkids. Um, so that's what drives me. And so I'm not I don't want to get injured along the way. That's going to I'm going to have a you know, two knee replacements and hip replacement and spine surgery and all this other stuff. So, so what role do you think mindset plays in that? Because you're talking about training your body, which obviously is a huge part of that, but I'm just curious. I mean, do you think that mindset has any role in what you just described? Oh, absolutely. I think the brain is, the, I'm, I'm not a neurologist or a neuropsychologist, but um, the brain is the next frontier. I think we have a lot of control over what happens with the rest of our body with what happens, you know, uh, uh, in between your ears. So I would imagine, you know, a lot about this. Maybe you're not a fully expert as you just described, yeah. but what do you, what fascinates you about the brain and how we can use this very powerful tool to create things in our life or to create, whether it's longevity or success in business or what have you, what fascinates you about the brain? I mean, the more and more I've read is like, you know, we're born with this nearly limitless potential and, we we put gates in our head and our, by, by our thoughts um, limiting what we're going to do. And so if you understand that and you unleash your brain's potential, um, look, I'm not going to say, Tyler, that, you know, you're going to go play in the NBA because I'm going to teach you about mindset. But you can be the best version of yourself. OK. And I can be the best version of myself and your listeners can be the best version of themselves by uh, releasing some of those barriers that they're creating in their mind. And when you do that, you release all kinds of hormones in your system that allow your, the rest of your body to function better. How do you remove those barriers? I think first you got to acknowledge that you have those barriers. Okay. Right. Um, and so you, the first thing is you got to acknowledge, you know, okay, what, what, what are you really trying to hide? What's the story behind the story? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then once you get past that, you've got to acknowledge it. And then you've got to really just be analytical about it. Say, okay, you know, why shouldn't I get, make that call to that broker and learn about this? Am I scared that the broker is going to think that I don't know what I'm talking about? Mm. Um, am I, am I scared that the deal is going to actually come through? You got to release some of those barriers and then really, you know, unleash some of your potential. Um, uh, you've, you've heard the term saboteurs, right? Oh yeah. 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 So, I mean, we've, we're, we're born with a bunch of saboteurs and we just have to learn to the first step in releasing that is to understand, acknowledge the fact that you have saboteurs. 
and acknowledging and recognizing that it's not like we're going to get rid of them, yeah. but we are going to live with them and we're not going to let them have the power over us and in them meaning saboteurs, right? right? These, these voices in our head that say, you know, if you do that, or if you try, you might, you might fail right. or you might lose money or, you know, you always have to be busy or, right. you know, there's danger around every corner. There's right. all these voices, right? right? And so it's not like you get away, you don't, you don't get rid of them and live without them you look at them and you say, thank you for trying to protect me, right. but I don't need you. And I'm going to move forward in a courageous capacity. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And you, you acknowledge them because they're, they're, they're mechanisms that, um, like, you know, someone described it to me as like, if you put your finger on a stove, yeah, like, right. You, you want to have that sensation, in your finger, that, that, that surface is hot. Don't and you do need, it again. Okay. But you only need to acknowledge it for like a half a second. Right, mm. you take your finger off, and then you then you start thinking again. So you you don't want to hang on to that saboteur. So you're talking about us us as in human beings mm-hmm. having nearly limitless potential, mm-hmm. and there's things that maybe we were designed for. Right, obviously physically is different than mentally or spiritually, and all these different things. Right. So you, you you've mentioned that several times. Mm-hmm. You talked about mindset and being sort of perhaps it can either limit you or it can open you up for that unlimited expansion right we were talking about you know uh longevity we were talking about health and you were talking about when you relieve release those gates you can release endorphins and uh, and things in your body you nailed that it. can you studied a lot of physiology haven't well you? i'm thinking about this i'm learning right now i mean this is a big thing so you know it's like it's almost like all of this is interconnected i mean would you would you say that that's the case absolutely it's interconnected you know the a thigh bone is connected to the hip bone, right? So, <laughs> Did yeah. you really just say that? That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't think I was going to learn that today. Uh-huh. So how does this all relate to business and life? And I know that you've got a family and like you're a father and all these things. And like, you know, you're, you're so expansive and you're continuing to grow and scale. And I do want to talk about that. But mm-hmm. how does how does what we just talked about impact just sort of the overarching theme of your life? Well, I think the thing is to share, right? Once you learn something, you know, you know, evolutionary wise, our ancestors have been learning and then sharing with other folks. That's how communication was done. Before there was written communication, it was verbal communication. So, um, you know, I love to share what I've learned and um, learn from others mm-hmm. and interact with people who want to grow. And so it's just a matter of engaging yourself with people who have that growth mindset and because there are things you can teach them and there are things you can learn from them. And so taking uh, everyone's perspective and experience and trying to blend it into your own decision making process so that you can make better decisions based upon you can you can leverage, you know, that we talked about who, not how earlier. Yeah. You know, you can be a who just like you're looking for a how. Right. And mm. so. You know, you, you can share your life experiences with other people. They can learn from you and somebody else or that person can share their life experiences with you and, and we can learn collectively. Yeah. And I love that you're sharing your story today because like you're 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 literally walking in that, you know, that ex- example that you just gave us because you're passing along your wisdom. And I just think it's a great example for everybody listening now that you recognize, hey, it is about paying it forward. It is about passing, you know, your wisdom along and sharing that because the abundance mentality, it's almost like the abundance mindset when everyone wins, everyone wins even more. Right. Why do you think there's not more people who are open to growth mindset or maybe they're not even aware of it. Do you think it's an awareness factor or what's the deal? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the thing is if you have a scarcity mindset, then 
human instincts are going to be the well i i need to i need to protect what i have because there's a finite supply and if you have an abundance mindset you're you're not really worried about that because you know that there a rising tide raises all ships and so the more you collectively share the more you get back and it you're better off but if you have a scarcity mindset you're like there's a finite amount of resources and uh, if i give some then then that means i'm subtracting from someplace else so do you believe that there's infinite resources available i know it's a very broad question yeah but i mean curious. i don't think there's infinite natural resources but okay. i think there's infinite human resources okay. you know um, within reason i mean i don't i'm not, i don't think it's completely infinite but um you know i think within reason yeah so infinite human resources mm -hmm. what does that exactly mean meaning that the there's there's an intense amount of human potential if we just um you know, I, I think about like all of these uh, underprivileged kids and all across the world who don't aren't given the same opportunities that you and I were given. I mean, just think about if we were to provide some of those resources, uh, think about the kind of potential that, that humans have. And mm. so um, just, you know, just as a microcosm, just the people around you, just try to unleash the potential of the people that you're, you're closest, uh, the people closest around you. Um, it's intense. So I, I get a sense that, you know, we're kind of moving in the direction of purpose, right? Because you don't just do all this just to expand yourself and just mm -hmm. to take in resources for yourself or even your family. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously you're you're living a great life and you're continuing to expand your lifestyle. But what, what else is the purpose behind your continued expansion? I mean, I think it's just it's satisfaction, you know, it's, it's, it's satisfaction and freedom, um, you know, uh, you you. We're, that's how we're designed. It's in our DNA. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but it's it's just one of those things where it's innate. Yeah. Um, it's innate, and we put barriers, uh, you know, keeping us from uh, that growth mindset. But if you just release some of those barriers, still protect yourself. But if you release some of those barriers, you've got got a lot more growth opportunities. Yeah, and you just keep challenging yourself to go to the next level. And I and I, I want to be respectful of your time. So we will transition into our rapid fire section here shortly. But yeah. before we do that, yeah. as you are scaling now, I mean, now mm -hmm. you're you've got a, a huge multifamily fund. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that and where you see that going and wh what the genesis of that idea came from? Yeah, it really came from the fact that, you know, I I had uh, worked a lot with my partners in my practice to build an office I said, well, you know, you know, I've had some experience in real estate. It's worked great for me. And what, why wouldn't we want to build for ourselves and rent to ourselves? You know, we talked about assessing uh, credit risk, right? <laughs> you feel good about yourself? <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, you know, why wouldn't you bet on yourself, right? You mm -hmm. bet on yourself before you bet on anybody else. No and doubt. so, um, so it, it took a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, we've developed our first office. It did well. And then we developed our second office and did well. We did develop our third office and our fourth office and our fifth office. Wow. And so, uh, people were like, well, you know, friends and family around it. We had done a couple of deals with, you know, close friends and so forth. And, you know, we did well with that. We learned from each deal. And so as, as people started to understand that, oh, that, you know, I've had some success in real estate. They were like, well, we want to get involved too. I don't, we don't necessarily want to get, do all the things that you've done and invest all that time and energy because we've got other interests, but we'd like to um, enjoy some of the same advantages. And so um, that's really kind of how we started 
um, uh, syndicating for multifamily funds. I love how that just came naturally. And just by the course of events, just through, you know, doing the best you can and really creating results. And it just came from a natural, Hey, we'd love to be a part of this. And then you said, Hey, let's fulfill that demand. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. It's just a way of paying it forward. Right. Because once yeah. you've learned something and you've, you've gone through all that experiences and the blood, sweat and tears that go involved in that, you, you, you know, you want to share that with the people who are closest around you so that they can, they can benefit like you have. Yeah. And it's like what Jarek Robbins said when he was on Elevate. He said, learn it, live it, give it. Yeah, there you go. That's that's well said. Better I mean, than I said it, but yeah, that's <laughs> prolific. Well, you, you said it much more uh, sophisticated and eloquently, you know, in a much more complicated way. He said it more, much more simply, yeah. but it really resonates. And you think about, you know, your continued expansion, you invest in yourself. You're talking about your routine, your rituals. Mm -hmm. You and I are involved in a mastermind together. Mm -hmm. How else are you investing in yourself these days? Um, I've also had uh, high performance coaching uh, uh, that's really helped me with my mindset. Um, and, um, I read, um, I, uh, I listen to podcasts, your podcast, other podcasts. Um, we we're in a mastermind together. So I, you know, like to, so I have to still maintain, um, relationships with mentors that have helped me for the last 15 years. And so, um, and, uh, so it's constant growth. Was there any mindset blocks that you needed to get over or overcome through and maybe that you realized that you needed to work through, um, just through coaching? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is I was my own worst enemy. I was hard on myself. Um, so, you know, I was very much of the mindset if something didn't happen, it was my fault. And um, then I became, uh, it put me in a negative frame of mind that didn't allow me to see, you know, all the things I did right. I'm, I'm a glass half full guy when mm -hmm. it comes to the world, but I'm, I'm my harshest cr critic. Yeah. And so one of the things that I started doing um, is understanding of if something didn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen, I still began the thought process in my mind of what did I do right? Mm. What did I do right? And then what are the things I can do better? And so I think it's really important. That was my biggest saboteur is I was so hard on myself that, that if something didn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen, I was like, you know, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Instead, I get to what I do wrong, but I start with what did I do right? Got it. And so then I go to what did I do wrong? You must rewire your immediate reaction. Yeah. How did you do that? Just practice. Practice. I'm not perfect at it. I'm. It's work in progress. <laughs> so is that just by being aware that that was your natural tendency and saying, I know that I need to get here, so let's work on that? Yeah. Just like anything else is awareness, yeah. right? You yeah. got to be aware of what are your particular uh, roadblocks and try to work around it. It's not easy, but it's not, it's not impossible. Yeah. And it's worthwhile, right? Absolutely. My man, this is so much fun. I really, really appreciate you. I want to transition into our rapid fire section. Yeah. We call it the rare air questionnaire. I know your heart is thumping right now. You know, the whole world is, you know, pins and needles right now, ready to hear your answers to these questions. But this is seriously, it's been a really enlightening conversation from, you know, real estate to personal growth to commitment to expanding your mindset and all these different things. So I just want to thank you for that. And I'm going to acknowledge you. Yeah. But as we dive in here, I'd love to know a few things. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, mm -hmm. what would those be and why? Um, I read more than a few years ago. I've read The Goal by Eli Goldratt. Okay. Um, it's a 
it's a it's actually a fiction book. <laughs> I said I don't read wow. fiction, but <laughs> it's actually it's a fiction book, but it has uh, a nonfiction purpose, I guess I should say. Um, it's a very very old book. It's about a manufacturing firm, but it it basically is. Have you heard of Kaizen, the, the Japanese I have, philosophy? Yeah. Yes. So remind the listeners, though, we've talked about this before, but Kaizen, mm-hmm. it's a very important. It's a it's a process of continuous improvement. Yes. Right. Yes. And so if you got a zillion things going on in your in your life. And you you, you want to really just focus on what is the biggest roadblock at that point. It's a theory of constraints. It's basically like the rate limiting step. So you fix the rate limiting step, and then you look for the next rate limiting step, and then you look for the next rate limiting step. So there's that's a never ending process, and it's it's uh it's the theory of constraints. What's uh, a rate limiting step? I'm sorry. Well, just like whatever what what is stopping you. Um, like if you think of the manufacturing process, where where and there's widgets that need to be made, where are the widgets accumulating? Got it. Okay. Right? Then address that. So bottle, where are the bottlenecks? Where are the bottlenecks? What's yeah. slowing down our process? What's slowing down our process? And then the rate limiting step. Now I get it. Okay. Yeah. So what's slowing down our rate? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And then you go to the next one. And Got then you it. go to the next one. It's a never ending process. Love that. Yeah. So um, Toyota used to use this back when they were, you know, lean the, manufacturing, right? Yeah, yeah. Lean manufacturing and you know, Six Sigma and all this other stuff. Yeah. You know, th- they use this process. And Eli Goldratt wrote a, uh, a book about it called The Goal. It's applicable to anything, it's applicable Very to your practical, life. practical, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Um, I've read uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. It's a good one. Um, that's a great book. He just simplifies things that are. Seemingly common sense, but it's it's good uh, to kind of think about. That's a really um, dense one. It's it like, is. oh my gosh, it you is. could. I mean, you could spend. You could probably spend an entire year if you really wanted to apply like everything in that book. It's a yeah. that's a big one. Yeah, yeah. And then um, we talked about who, not how. Yep. Uh, that's been impactful. Um, the miracle equation. Yep. Um, Halrod uh, Elrod that I read recently. Um, he talks about unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. Mm. unwavering faith and extraordinary effort love that um and he's got a great personal story um, yeah i'll let your listeners read about it so unwavering faith and extraordinary effort mm-hmm. is that right mm-hmm. so in its extraordinary effort but the the faith part i would imagine is important because we can get so discouraged along our journey right right I mean, absolutely you've you've i would imagine you've countered encountered that yourself absolutely yeah yeah. Yeah. And continuing to stay on that path. Thank you for that. We'll put links in the show notes in terms of how you can find those books. I'm going to in particular be looking up the goal mm-hmm. and I got to look that one up. Mm-hmm. So aside from our discussion today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Well, I really just start off by doing the right things. Um, I try to, you know, get seven to eight hours of sleep, mm. um, you know, drink three liters of water, meditate, exercise, eat right. You know, um, you know, that, that helps me Puts, my, puts me in a frame of mind and physiologically and emotionally and psychologically that I can tackle the tasks of the day. So we talked about, you know, the routine and, you know, exercise and, and reading and learning and all this stuff. We did not talk about sleep much. Mm-hmm. Are there any tips that you would give the listeners to get better sleep? Is there anything that's worked for you? Well, uh, you and I have talked about this aura ring. Yeah. Um, it's been helpful for me. Um, the awareness and tracking and yes, understanding. It's just yeah. the first thing of any any issue, I always have to be aware of it, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, trying not to eat or drink within three hours of bed and try to get into a routine. I don't do this, but they, you know, they say you should sleep at the same time every, every I don't night. do that either. Yeah, yeah, weekends and weekdays. I haven't gotten that uh, perfected yet, but yeah. I'm working on it. 
Yeah, I like that. So good routine and, you know, stay away from electronics and blue light and, um, you know, get a good routine down. I have a, I have a tip. So there's on, if you have Apple products Uh and you can do the nighttime mode, you can actually set it to when the sun sets immediately every single day, it will turn your phone to nighttime mode. And oh, so it removes okay. the blue light. So that's a little, you know, it's a little, I got little tip. I, yeah, I didn't know that. So if you have yeah. even on the computer or an iPad or an iPhone or all of your products, if you want to yeah. link them all, it's yeah. very simple to do. It's really not complicated. My, my childhood friends joke that I am the most tech unsavvy person, <laughs> especially really? for an Indian guy not yeah. knowing anything about tech. <laughs> It's, it's crazy. These guys Seriously? harass me about it. I'm, I'm so tech unsavvy. But you have two aura rings now. I know that for <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That's awesome. But I, I asked you the question about the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis. And it seems to me that all these things in terms of investing in yourself are that's the domino that leads into your business, that leads into your medical practice and mm-hmm. leading your family. Am mm-hmm. I am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you know, you and I both love to share. And I think that's part of that's in our DNA, like we talked about earlier. I mean, yeah. so when you've learned something, you want to share it. And so I think that's important. I love it. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Vasu? Yeah, on that on that note, I mean, basically just trying to get everybody to be the best version of themselves. You know, not make the same mistakes over and again. I tell my kids this all the time. And uh, my kids are my daughter is 12 and my son's nine and their, their biggest routine is daddy. This was a different mistake. <laughs> <laughs> They've heard this too many times because I always say, don't make the same mistake. Oh, that's so funny. Don't make the same mistake. That's how you elevate yourself is to, you know, learn from your mistakes. You know, Ray Dalio says, right. Pain plus reflection mm. equals progress. Yes. Right. And so the, that's a mini version of what I try to tell my kids don't make the same mistake twice yes is that right yeah so how do you do that i mean is it a reflection process is it hey you know what here's what i did and let's take an inventory maybe journal a little bit about that yeah i haven't gotten into the journaling as much that's another good routine that uh that a lot of very successful people do is they journal in the morning i need to Um, do that too i need to do that too i (laughs) hopefully in 21 or or 22 i feel like this just became a therapy session immediately yeah we have not been doing this this is bad yeah that's interesting. Um, don't make the same mistake twice. That's a great rule to live by. And it's it's just progress, right? Yeah, it's just it's just a matter of taking an outcome. And if it wasn't the desired outcome, at least analyzing what role you could have uh, uh, played in changing that outcome. Mm. Um, but again, a lot of times there's there's things that you can't control. So, you know, don't worry about things you can't control. Just focus on stuff you can't control. But in terms of elevating others, mm-hmm. it's about expecting that they can continue to expand through a mistake and having the expectation and setting the standard of excellence to say, if you make the same mistake twice, maybe we're leading down a path of insanity or something. Right? Well, maybe maybe we just didn't take the time to reflect upon what went wrong so that we don't do that next time. Or maybe we weren't aware that we even made a mistake. Maybe it was an unconscious, incompetent step, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Vasu, this has been amazing. Yeah. This has really been super valuable. I've really enjoyed my time with you. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd share with Elevate Nation today? Get started. Get started with whatever you want to do. Don't don't wait for, I mean, t- take baby steps. And I remember as I started my business career, everyone was like, well, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, you know, this is, you're supposed to be a doctor. And, and I just was overwhelmed with all that. So I just took one step at a time and it's much easier to focus on just taking one little step as opposed to being daunted by the massive task of your, of your long-term goal. 
I know that was supposed to be your parting thoughts and words of wisdom, but I wanted to just ask you another question. Did yeah. you ever feel like you were behind in that process? Did you ever feel like you weren't moving fast enough? Yeah, absolutely. 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 And then I just drilled it down into, because I was looking four or five steps ahead yeah. instead of looking at the next step. And I, I, the four or five steps were daunting me. Yeah. So instead, I, 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 I'm trying to... Um, another book, uh, The One Thing by Gary oh, yeah. Keller, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's Keller. Yeah. Yep. You know, focus on that one thing that's going to make everything else easier for you. And that's a way that you can get started. So whatever you want to do in life, get started. And you'll find that the path is not as arduous as you thought it was going to be. Man, that is that is a quote right there, my friend. Yeah. You are amazing. I appreciate you so yeah. much, Vasu. Tell the listeners how they can learn more about you, about your fund, about everything you're doing in real estate. Uh, Where should they go? Yeah, we have we have a website, APTA Properties, A-P-T-A Properties.com, and um, uh, LinkedIn profile under my name as well. Yeah, check out Vasu Kakalapudi yes. and, yeah, uh, on LinkedIn. And, you know, I'll tell you what. Um, Vasu has become a great friend of mine. I'm really excited about uh, continuing to expand our friendship. And I'm telling you what, you've got to re-listen to the show because there's so much gold nuggets of wisdom. There's so much quotes. There's so many different things that you can apply to your life, to your business immediately. So I want to encourage the listener to re-listen to the show. I want to en encourage you to identify your top three key distinctions. What are the top three takeaways that you can apply to your life immediately? And also, by the way, repetition is a mother of all skills. So go ahead and re-listen to this episode. But most importantly, start today. Take massive action. Basu, thank you so much for being here with me, hey, my friend. Thanks, Tyler. I enjoyed it. Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.